Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, as countries around the world slowly begin unlocking their lockdowns, how will airlines, assuming they can survive that long, return to the skies? And how might air travel have to change as part of that process? It's another Airline Business pop-up podcast. My name's Graham Dunn, and joining me, as ever, is my airline business colleague, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. How are you? Not too bad getting uh, ever deeper into this uh, lockdown mode, and um, it's almost become quite um, habit-forming now. It has, yes. So we're obviously firmly established now working working remotely, and we're doing um, this uh, podcast via um, the uh, one of the many kind of uh, online uh, meeting <laughs> pieces of software that um, everyone's using at the moment. But um, so, yeah, we, we've, we've got into a bit of a rhythm now. So on, you know, covering all of this, obviously, day to day on flightglobal.com. And we started to see a kind of bit of a shift maybe in the news agenda. Would you kind of say that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, for you know, for the first two or three weeks of, of everything, it was really about the the kind of winding down. You know, we there were a, a, a lot of the uh, coverage was... You know, airlines grounding aircraft. We wrote, you know, enormous number of stories of different airline X, airline Y, steadily grounding aircraft, grounding operations. You know, there were kind of initial periods as to how long they would stop for, and, and you know, gradually, obviously, the, the projections got got worse and worse. And certainly over the last week or two, in particular, I think things have very much now moved to to the crunch period for airlines in terms of they need measures right now to survive this crisis. Yeah, it's very much been obviously in the early days of this that the, the um, IATA was obviously really strong on its messaging that yeah most airlines aside from some of the huge players probably only had two or three months worth of liquidity to see them through and we're we're obviously um, you know heading towards that point at at the moment so um, wh- whereas IATA's messaging in those early days was very strongly on that it's kind of um, Feels like we maybe reached the point now where, you know, a lot of governments have stepped in, whether directly to help airlines or, or, or indirectly through wider measures that that um, are designed to keep their economy ticking over as much as possible. Um, but we've really reached the point now where I think, um, yeah, we're starting perhaps to see that the, the critical point being reached by some carriers. And as a you know, an example, in the last few days, of course, is Virgin Australia. Yes, absolutely. Virgin Australia, they'd asked for, you know, specific amounts of funding and, and, and uh, you know, made a direct plea for um, bailout money. Um, the government in Australia did do things. Australia, you know, as a market, has, uh, it's taken its own lockdown steps, but there are some signs of recovery in, in that market, I guess. But it just wasn't enough for Virgin Australia. Virgin Australia is a really interesting airline Anyway, for lots of reasons, it's, you know, financially, it's it's had a bad run. It's made a loss for the last seven years, not massive losses, but, you know, it's struggled to turn a profit in what has largely been a, a profitable period for uh, for airlines. It's a hugely attractive player for airlines because, you know, it's strategic partnerships its investors include Singapore Airlines, Etihad, H&A, Air New Zealand were involved before. And, and of course, with Australia being a the huge market there and essentially a, a duopoly with Qantas and, uh, and Virgin Australia, you know, from a consumer side and from a, you know, commercial side, having that second player is absolutely crucial. Yeah, and because of that, I think there does seem to be some hope. There's a vol- voluntary administration, so there appears to be some hope that 
something that could still emerge from the, the administration process and there's certainly been interest. Um, of course, the, uh, it's important to point out that we heard similar things maybe when, when Jet Airways went went under last year, but that hasn't really, um, obviously hasn't got anywhere in terms of getting back into the air again. But yeah, I think um, one thing that comes through in this example when we talk about the situations airlines find themselves in is um, in one of the, I think the first Flight Global webinar we had um, since this crisis began, we had Chris Tarry, one of our the analysts and contributor to, to airline business, talk about the moral hazard that governments face in deciding whether to help airlines during this crisis and there is there's kind of a, a danger i guess that, that governments would be very aware that they don't want to be propping up businesses that were were failing already and, and essentially just prolonging the the death of that that business i guess to put it in quite blunt terms so i think with the case of version australia as you talked talked about it's a huge yeah, it's a lucrative market but the key point is that version australia have been struggling for years haven't been profitable for years um, you know, and th those years included what we would look at as the, the peak of of what uh, certainly uh, even more so now. You know, the you know 2017 time, sort of the the peak of prof profitability for carriers. Um, so even during that period, it was struggling. So it put forward um, you know a number of rescue options to the government, which um, the government did not um, agree to. So I think um, yeah, as I go, I go back to Chris's point you know that the governments aren't just going to throw money at airlines or any type of business um you know willy-nilly during this time is good they've got to feel that there's some return from it when um when restrictions are lifted so um but as you say the virgin australia is interesting because of that you know a lot of people saw it as a as a you know as a worthwhile strategic um, and financial investment and it's interesting one of the other points that chris had made which was the, the the complications of governments rescuing or investing to rescue airlines which are which aren't totally owned by the um by the state mm. itself so you know i was reading this morning about uh, nordica uh, the estonian operation and that's um i think seeking around um 20 million euros in um state support there's a whole debate there because lot the polish airline owns half that airline and and the, the question would be well should they be now, of course, LOT is in no better position to, mm. to uh, fresh money in because LOT has the same problem as every other airline that's not flying. So, you know, it's not straightforward how governments necessarily can can step in to help their airlines. And the ultimate example of that might might be at the moment Virgin Atlantic. So another a Virgin carrier, this time where the Virgin Group is 51% owner of the carrier but there's a obviously a perception that Richard Branson is, is not based in the UK and obviously having him as the figurehead of the business has been a big boost for, for Virgin Atlantic in the past but at the moment it's not not looking quite quite that way but at the same time that obviously there's a lot of focus on Branson but at the same time obviously there are thousands of jobs at stake in, in the UK and Virgin Atlantic was allowed to fall over so um as ever, I, I think within all of this, this moral quandary faced by governments, um, the airline industry is 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 very vulnerable to to um, quite negative coverage that um, seems to be out of proportion, I guess, with what some other businesses would get. That that you know, a lot of businesses, big businesses, will have very complicated ownership structures, but because of the very public facing nature of of airlines and because of figures like Branson, it, it gets a lot of attention and that, that won't always be helpful for airlines as i say 
um, there's there's two ways of looking. There's multiple ways of looking at everything, but certainly with Virgin Atlantic, as I was saying, um, it, it it's big competition um, to to what otherwise would be close to a monopoly for for BA at Heathrow, for example. Um, and it does support thousands of jobs, and obviously directly and indirectly through the the economy. So so these um, within these moral quandaries that all these other factors are playing in, like you know. How, how it's being covered by the press and everything. So, so yeah, it's a um, very uh, complicated situation that, um, and I don't think every airline's going to obviously survive this. No, and, and, and I think, it, you know, it's interesting that even in, in the US, which, you know, very swiftly uh, acted to, to make funds available, and, and you've seen in the, in the past week US carriers agreeing to draw down funds under the, the CARES package, 50 billion euros, uh, euros, 50 million dollars, made available for US carriers in one form or another. But even that came with caveat catches, you know, the, around a requirement to to operate uh, minimum services on, on various destinations to keep a skeleton service. US carriers, I saw some data from um, a week or so ago that, you know, they're They've got load factors around nine percent on domestic <laughs> domestic flights. You know, that is mm. they clearly aren't a, a, a sort of profitable element. And you've seen you know, many US carriers in taking the um, in accepting the the funding support have been trying to get exemptions, um, not particularly successfully, from what I can see in terms of that route network. And then there's further questions around loans, which were available in terms of it providing um, essentially the, the, the US government becoming um, a shareholder within that, and what kind of role it would play there. Yeah, and then beyond that, I guess we 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 talk about obviously uh, governments helping carriers. If you're already a state-owned carrier and you were already struggling going into this, and I'm thinking of South African as an example of a carrier that, you know, by um, by a lot of accounts, um, looks like it's nearing the end of the line with the caveat that we know, um, Alitalia, for example, we know that that um, particularly government-owned carriers, it's difficult to know, you know, measure where the end of the line is at times because, um, because they can always be kept going in some form and, at the moment when there's nothing flying really anyway, it's difficult to judge what would be happening if um, if we weren't facing this this global crisis. So, But certainly SAA is a carrier that um, is one to keep an eye on, I guess, in terms of, of um, you know, the, where there'd be doubts about them getting through this, this crisis. As you say, companies that were already struggling beforehand, you know, it just it, the pressure has come quick, more quickly than or the crunch point has come more quickly than it has for others. But, you know, I think you, we've seen, you know, even for the sort of profitable and, and successful carriers, it hasn't been plain sailing. Uh, someone like EasyJet in the UK, which good financial track record, has grown well. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's Chief Executive was talking about having sort of nine months worth of, of cash, uh, you know, being able to s- sustain itself during a grounding. Obviously, it's had a very vocal and um, determined shareholder in, in Stelios making quite a lot of noise in terms of uh, the fears of, of expanding too too far and, and particularly uh, an Airbus order that they have. Yeah, so the, the, the Stelios situation has, has provided um, a bit uh, a bit of a sideshow, I guess, with, with all this going on. I'm seeing his name all over the media with, as you say, over you know, quite... Um, a uh, strong argument over um, the status of that Airbus order, um, and I, I think the um, for for all for all airlines, the the, the the unknowns are obviously the problem at the moment. We, 
you know, if um, I, I think it's key to all of this, and and when we talk about government help and and all of those factors, the um, we just don't know. And if you know, I artist predictions correct, and there's a slow recovery beginning in in the third quarter. Then these kind of arguments uh, around EasyJet and things, I guess, may may fade away to a point. There, obviously, no one's talking about airlines taking any any aircraft this year or having a particularly big appetite for them for some time. But but clearly, there are so many different paths that could play out, and I doubt I'd have my doubts about anyone who's confident on on what they may be. Um, but certainly, um, when we and yeah, talking about the government support, obviously, if we begin to see airlines coming back into to, to some form of service at the start of the third quarter, then um, I guess we, we start to see a slightly more optimistic picture, and um, and that that immediate need to funding may may not be as strong, but but certainly under some other scenarios, and um, we all know that we've had enough people say that you know that the only way we get truly out of this crisis would be. A vaccine being widely available, for example, or maybe a treatment that that makes the um, the uh, getting the virus less um, less um, detrimental to health. So, um, um, so we all know that that kind of maybe the ultimate goal, and that you know, amid in between that, that um, we could see another peak in cases, for example, where the the need for funding is even greater. So it's um, there's 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 a lot to play out and. Um, I think I, I think one of the things you are certainly seeing, though, from airlines is a an acceptance that it is going to be a smaller world when they resume services. I guess on you, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, EasyJet deferred um, a relatively small number of aircraft. Uh, Lufthansa is taking steps around its fleet, passing one of the first to to sort of permanently take aircraft out. And I think that's it's sort of quite interesting in terms of I think. Again, over the last couple of weeks, there's maybe been a, a kind of recognition, and we see we certainly seen it among aircraft, aircraft lessors cancelling um, various commitments uh, for aircraft as well, particularly around the Max, where you know there's a rec- there is a recognition this is going to take a long time to get out, and, we, and not they're not going to need that level of aircraft in the fleet. Yeah, and I think um, again we've heard I think a lot of people say as well that the, the airlines that responded quickly or saw this coming the earliest uh, are giving themselves a much better chance of getting through this you're right because as you say Lufthansa um, was was very quick to and um, the cast and sport was very quick to to acknowledge this was going to be a smaller industry when we came out of this um, amazingly quick I really think it was literally you know a week or two after you know lockdowns began this you know the, reflecting the seriousness of, of what we all know we're, we're facing so um, so yeah, th- those airlines that responded quickly. Um, again, some airlines are more levers to pull than others. Obviously, um, with a huge, a huge fleet over seven hundred aircraft, like Lufthansa Group has. There's, um, I guess, in several aircraft types, there's there's a bit more room to make those decisions in a logical way. So taking out of service, you know, um, you know, A three eighties, for example, that. Um, that um, where there are already question marks around their their suitability and it, the economics of them on on the routes they're flying, um, so yeah, but 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 you're right. We are um, that is a big part of what's playing out as well at the moment. And again, obviously, the the, the duration of this crisis will will have a lot to say on that. Um, but certainly, we're 
you know, when we look, um, talk about aircraft orders and things, I think it's important to note that obviously the the um, the, the desire for airlines to have, you know, the, the most economical aircraft isn't going to go away, um, not least because that, you know, ultimately saves them money, but also because, you know, we, we've probably forgotten a bit about the environmental agenda and how much that was really battering airlines going into this crisis, and that's not going to go away. So while, you know, they'll be searching for, savings on you know in the immediate future on on bringing those aircraft in um what a trend that's obviously going to play out and is playing out already is the the older aircraft being retired from fleets much sooner than expected we've seen that everywhere i mean obviously i spoke to air baltic um a few weeks ago a similar thing happening there q400 737s out of the fleet much earlier than than expected so they can concentrate on the a220 which is much more economical and and, the, 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 of course, there are the another of those bizarre uh, paradoxes is always um, uh, arguably there will never be a better time to start an airline uh, in terms of, you know, picking up um, some some cheap aircraft uh, at a time where oil will almost pay you to take it uh, with the oil where it is now. Yeah, that, that, I guess, yeah, that is another thing playing this, of course, there, there is that we expect all to, to be depressed for for some time. So um, at the same time, as you say, well, that's playing out, I guess if you, you are uh, starting up an airline, there's certainly going to be a lot of very cheap, um, um, older aircraft types on the market that um, would give you that that opportunity. But I would say, I, I think the um, it's important that carriers don't lose sight of that environmental agenda. Because I think that one thing that's playing out during this um, crisis is it is bringing a lot of people's minds to climate change as another kind of existential threat that humans are facing. And um, I think once things begin to return to some normality, that, that you know, when we talk about lessons learned from this crisis, I think that that will be high up the agenda. Of course, as ever, um, there'll be a, a balancing act between, um, you know, as you say, the fact that these, these older aircraft will be burning more fuel, but fuel is likely to be much cheaper. So there may be, you know, options for startups, as you say, for, for, from some smaller carriers that survive this to get hold of, you know, an expanded fleet to maybe fill the hole left by a, a rival that's collapsed, for example. Um, but yeah, that 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 relies on on fuel staying staying low, and there being the demand there, obviously. But um, but certainly um, those dynamics will play out. But I, I don't, you know, there will be obviously a short, medium term reduction in the the need for newer aircraft. But um, that need will 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 still be there. I think. Um, when a semblance of normality returns. And I think the, just kind of coming back to that environmental point, one of the, the other interesting parts about it is, of course, that airlines that are having to look to government for support, and, uh, you know, I think we will see or, or certainly be discussed, it's probably going to be a political argument within governments, um, whether, whether the governments look to use that um, lever that they have over airlines to try and step up uh, environmental commitments or, or pledges around tackling the environment in an even stronger way. I th- you know, I think the debates will, you know, I'm sure debates we have, uh, or the, the people have all the time about the, the pros of aviation against the environmental concerns, the economic pros and societal mm-hmm. pros against the economic, uh, the environmental uh, challenges and you know I think that will be those will be absolutely accelerated discussions with governments uh, during this period. I reckon so, and particularly when you think that part of the way governments are helping airlines in in some cases will be that they'll be either deferring or reducing taxes that 
would have been at least partly imposed with airlines' environmental environmental impact in mind. So um, that there'll be other ways, that, like you say, that governments will be will be um, will be asking airlines about that as part of this. I guess it has to be be part of the consideration that that issue isn't going away. So um, and at the same time, you could imagine. I mean, airlines, you know, the kind of go-to answer to what are airlines doing about the environment before. You know, the pressure really ramped up in the last few months was always, well, we're buying all these these new aircraft that give us 15 to 20 percent efficiency savings. And, and again, that, that you know, th there's a point where airlines will need to stick to their promises on that if they, you know, to get through the short term, obviously not. But I think the, um, the longer term, that's going to be absolutely crucial still. And you think about governments, you know, where they're based in countries where their, you know, aircraft manufacturing is a big um, employer and a big, you know, contributor to the economy. Um, again, when they're talking to airlines about, well, we'll help you, but you know, what are you, what are your, what are your plans for your, your big Airbus order or whatever? Then I'm sure that that kind of thing comes into play. But, um, but yeah, um, it's it's um, it's all unknowns. But certainly, there are some things I think that will will hold pretty steady um, um, through this. So as you say, they're all unknowns and probably the biggest unknown at the moment is when normal services, normal airline services might resume and, and how they might have to change. And we'll um, talk about that in uh, part two. Download for free our digital airline business special sponsored by CFM International, looking at how airlines are facing up to the coronavirus challenge. Go to flightglobal.com forward slash airline business. Well, one of the big questions is uh, not only when air travel might return to normal, it, it, it's how it's going to be impacted over the um, when services can can and do return. And, and we've seen quite, uh, quite a lot of talk um, in the media around, uh, you know, the potential around how social distancing will become, become part of that process. Yeah, there's, there's two things, I guess, generally when you're looking at the economy, there's, there's, um, there's obviously the, the narrative that things can start opening up again. Um, um, but uh, one key consideration is whether you know, people themselves will actually want to, to then use services as they were before. Um, so that, that's an important consideration ar around this, really, because in, um, certainly in some countries there's a perception that maybe people were essentially locking down before you know, lockdowns were even imposed because they were concerned for their health, their family's health and, and everyone. So... Um, certainly, that, that's an important thing when we're talking about capacity returning and demand returning. Again, there are just so many unknowns. But certainly, um, obviously, something that's getting a lot of coverage, as you say, is the is the, the social distancing. Where in the UK, for example, the idea is when you're out in public that with people not from your household, you should be maintaining two meters distance um, at all time, whenever possible. Obviously, um, in some cases, it's not, but but certainly um, the obvious question that a lot of people are asking is, well, you know, if I'm going to be sitting on a plane for several hours you know, next to someone I don't know, how does that fit into that, that narrative? And, um, and certainly um, I think uh, it's, 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 it's impossible to answer really because we don't know what you know, government requirements are going to be when, when there's, a, there's actually the chance to, to fly again. But you know, I think the key point is those social distancing you know, if it is keep two metres, for as long as it is keep two metres away from people as long as possible, then obviously air travel is going to be seriously impacted. And I don't think, 
um, airlines are going to have an answer for that necessarily, and I don't think they can because that social distancing is a problem throughout the economy. Um, you know, it's not airlines aren't going to solve it, and even if they could solve it themselves, I think as long as there is that social distancing requirement, people um, aren't going to be wanting to, to to travel as much. I think is ultimately the way I would see it anyway, because you know, they, if they travel, they can't then enjoy restaurants, enjoy you know any kind of social occasion the way they would normally. So that there's kind of um, I don't think airlines are going to solve this on their own, and I think ultimately it's not a problem that they will be able to solve. Is, is the way I would see it. So yes, the the you know I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a, been a lot of attention, for example, on you know would airlines be able to leave the middle seat free, um, for example, as a way of introducing um, social distancing on on board, which I don't really uh, applies anyway. But you know, fundamentally, if people aren't comfortable enough. Um, to be sat next to somebody on board a plane, um, they're not going to be sat comfortable enough sat next to someone by the side of a pool on mm. holiday or in a, a, a conference, uh, you know, whatever it is. So it's probably a slightly moot point anyway. Although you know, we saw we heard Arthur's uh, Dutch General Alexander de Junior clearly outlining that you know mm. of that, which you know, on a short haul flight would involve. You know, roughly cutting capacity by a third. There's that is just not a economically viable way of uh, of operating. And, and if you think low cost carriers are working on a on a, a break even load factor of or not to break even load factor, but load factors of high you know in high eighties, possibly even in the nineties. <laughs> you know, if, if your baseline is the equivalent of say seventy percent of that on board, your prices are going to have to go up. Yeah, and that, as I said, as a low-cost carrier is um, is a tough, you know, is a tough, tough one to, to kind of work out. As you say, the, the yeah, the ultimate problem is if you, I mean, keeping the middle seat free doesn't mean you're two meters away from anyone, everyone as well. I think it's important to say, obviously, you know, in you know the way airlines have developed in recent years has all been around the the, um, the density of, of seating. So um, there is a danger, kind of airlines sort of solve a problem that, that 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 doesn't exist in that sense that you know mo- not having some middle seat still means you're uh, i imagine in most cases they're yeah, much closer than two meters to to people around you to, to to crew um and that kind of thing so and we're at an early stage obviously of talking about the comeback but uh, i think it is important to acknowledge those those points but also i guess on the other side you know when we're not talking about these being formal requirements as such, there may be, um, it may help the, the encourage passengers more at the point where that's possible, um, that there is a level of distancing on the flight, I guess. Um, but I think that that's kind of short term. I think in the longer term, and EasyJet kind of talks about this, that because they're not selling, they won't be selling, expect to sell many tickets in the early days when a comeback starts, that the distancing can happen to a point anyway. Um, but you know, in in the longer t- longer term, that that just not viable for, for the business model. And as we say, I, I think um, it's not a problem that can uniquely be solved by the airlines anyway. And, and I think you're right. It's you know, I think quite a lot of what we're going to be hearing over the of the next few weeks is going to be you know probably based around short term measures and short term arrangements that would um, you know in in much the same way as we've seen 
you know, separation, orderly queuing at supermarkets. You know, I think there will be associated with any return to flights, there would be return to flying, there would be, you know, some measure, measures put in place every temporary period, you know, until, until there's some sort of uh, vaccine or or other health solution to this, I guess. There's also um, a perception of very, uh, you know, people have to feel comfortable to travel again. And you know, airlines will have to consider, not just airlines, the whole travel industry will have to consider all kinds of ways to sort of support that. And, you know, uh, that, that to some extent, there may, not, you know, there may be measures which don't necessarily have that much pragmatism to them. They don't do any harm. I suppose it's like, you know, there's a big debate around the extent to which um, uh, face masks help or don't help, um, you know, in the general, what's, what's evident is the cleaning will not do any harm, <laughs> the level of, uh, of benefit and, you know, but maybe there is a, a sort of um, psychological value to it. Yeah, I think confidence is going to be everything really once, once people are able to, to travel again. The, the, the thing we really can't predict how much, um, you know, for everyone saying this is going to change everything forever, there are obviously people saying that people just go back to normal, but you know, in any scenario, the, the time it takes to reach whatever normal becomes is is going to be crucial to so many businesses, particularly airlines, where, you know, it does feel they're very much on the, the, the front line of of this in terms of, of the impact that the you know, a global outbreak has on a sector which is all about travelling traveling globally and internationally in, in, in a lot of cases. So you're right. I think that, yeah, the... the the confidence thing is um, regardless of whatever you know official uh, gui- guidelines are in place of what needs to be done or requirements or regulations I think um, confidence is, is, is going to be everything and, and along those lines we've seen obviously even the last few days Emirates has, has been putting out images of people being tested um, for, for COVID-19 before boarding a flight now um, there are maybe specific reasons on certain routes where you need to have an um, immunity certificate when you arrive in a country. But um, so th- there are some practical reasons for doing that. But obviously, the practicalities of rolling that out generally are questionable. But also, the fact is that again, thinking about the consumer confidence when you when you fly, um, you really want to be sure when you're leaving your house on the way to the airport, that you're not heading to an airport that's full of people that are potentially passing on the, um, the disease. And, and, you know, so it, it's kind of a too late in the process, I think, to be, to be that meaningful in terms of um, the confidence of consumers to be testing at the airport. I think, again, as much as airlines and airports can try to come up with solutions, I think ultimately we are reliant on, on, you know, more, across the wider society that things move on in a positive way but as you say um the confidence side of things is, is maybe a different equation where where you're not doing things necessarily because they they are scientifically crucial in in fighting the disease it's more about you know giving people that reassurance that the airlines and airports are thinking about the the customer but yeah easier said than done because as you as we've pointed out you know um Iata said in their uh, briefing yesterday that that um, if you've got to wipe out a third of all seats from a short haul flight, you're essentially flying at a loss unless you put ticket prices up fifty percent. And then that you know creates some. Um, there are many ways in which you could see the airline industry going back a couple of decades um, through as a result of this crisis. And one of them might be that flying is 
is really expensive again, and the preserve of people that that um, that are much wealthier in society, um, more state-owned carriers as well. Um, so um, we hopefully don't reach that point, but certainly there is a danger um, if if you know that there are requirements, or or if the demand just doesn't doesn't come back because people are too worried about some um, being sat next to someone for you know two hours or up to you know 15 16 hours so so yeah but <laughs> everything's unknown at the moment but but um the airline industry isn't going to solve many of these challenges on its own i think is, is yeah it? and i think and i think the other thing around confidence or even when we think about how markets come back or the buy comes back i think as well we were talked previously and i also talked about it again uh, around how the domestic markets are likely to be uh, the ones that come back first for the sort of kind of obvious reasons you know with international travel as we've seen in china raises then the problem of uh, or the risk of of importing or the fear of importing the disease you know i think i think probably i suspect what we will start to see is is the emergence of of, of blocks you know and it, we, you saw that within australia and new zealand there's lots of talk about creating um where you great where you sort of because for those if you're the us you have a big enough market you know theoretically it wouldn't be the same but you know they could create a you know a, um, a relatively sustainable you know, it's 14 percent of all traffic last year was in the u.s domestic market so that's pretty sustainable but for for other countries other economies you know i think there will be you know the, the step beyond domestic markets will start to be a, um, a step uh, to perhaps join link economies we've seen that with with countries uh, neighboring countries i think we've seen that we'll see that in a scandal, for example. And, you know, air travel can play a small part within that. I think so, and that, that will be. And I know IATA, of course, they're um, talking in, in, you know, regional terms with um, with stakeholders about this kind of how this will, will roll out. As you say, um, there may be some reticence to the idea that, you know, air travel would be split up in that way. I can understand some reticence, but it may be the only way we can, um, you know, slowly get back to some, some level of normality, as you say. You look at New Zealand, where um, the cases are incredibly low because they locked down so quickly. In Australia, where we're seeing um, new cases down to extremely low levels, where you, yeah, it's realistic. I guess you you could start up flights between the two. Um, um, that is an important caveat. Is of course, no one's saying. Very few people I've heard have suggested that this disease can be eradicated as such. It's is going to be around in one form or the other until we, um, well, forever in the sense, but obviously um, we're hoping it'll be controlled in, in some way fairly soon. But you're, you're right, yeah, the domestic markets are interesting. And you look at a carrier like Southwest, for example, which is largely, um, it does have international markets, but it's, it's, it's a huge player in the US domestic market. And you probably you know include Canada in this. You can imagine there being you know an agreement at some point that, flights in, in the North American countries could could resume and and a lot as you say there's that market is so huge that it is sustaining quite it could sustain quite a decent amount of the of global traffic um, on its own but obviously the, the important caveat with this is um, is that um, airlines even the US make a lot of money from international long-haul services I think the domestic markets are good for airports, for example, and in terms of passenger numbers. So domestic markets coming back, I think IATA reckons around nearly 60% of um, passengers are on 
domestic services across the world. But in terms of ASK, so in terms of um, sorry RPKs, so the actual money airlines are earning, um, the, the majority is on international services. So there's actually a, a, a bit of a mismatch there where actually airports will, will benefit with domestic services coming back because so there are so many airports. We often, you know, it's easy just to think about the huge international hubs, but there's so many airports that are kind of serving regions within a country or within a block of countries where, um, like the EU, for example, where, where, um, where you know, you don't hear about them every day, but they rely on those domestic um, services. And so, so, you know, domestic services will, coming back will be a boon to, to airports, um, particularly, and some domestic carriers. But, you know, the important point is that um, a lot of countries aren't big enough to have domestic markets or, or simply don't have particularly large domestic markets because, you know, the, 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 the sector isn't as mature as it is in, in other places. So um, from an airline perspective, certainly um, any relief is good. But Transatlantic, for example, is such a huge part of um, any airline operating in that sector, of their revenue and their profitability, that domestic markets can only take you so far when you've got them. Um, and obviously, you know, those domestic markets are fed to an extent by um, people travelling internationally into the country. Um, so they're linked to a point, but certainly, um, as I are to say, we expect to see domestic come back, then regional, and it's going to be the intercontinental kind of long haul that, that is likely to be further off. So plenty to talk about. Before we sign off, I thought we should probably mention in a sort of rare plug for what we've been doing, we put together a pretty unusual edition of Airline Business because the normal rules of engagement went out of the window and um, everything that's about coronavirus and the impact on the industry. And um, we've spoken to um, existing executives, people who've been there, who have been through previous crises. As much as this is obviously a, a terrible time for the industry and for the airline industry and, and the publishing industry, let's be honest, it's um, no one's escaping this at the moment. But um, we were able to put together an issue that is incredibly focused on on the coronavirus challenges, as you say. And 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 in that, we um, it's not a normal issue of airline business as such as uh, digital only. But um, you can, if you go to flightgoverall.com, um, the airline business section, you'll be able to find the issue there. We were able to speak to four chief executives. Obviously, we normally just have an interview, big interview of one. But um, we're able to speak to um, Ed Sims from WestJet with um, uh, Tony Douglas from Etihad, obviously Martin Gauss from Air Baltic and Peter Foster from Air Astana. So a, a decent geographic spread there of CEOs that we've spoken to since the crisis have started. So some great insight there. We've also got um, some in there, some summaries of the key points from our Flight Global webinars where people including... Christoph Muller, Tony Tyler, and uh, as we mentioned earlier, Chris Tarry was involved with one of them, a you know, highly respected analyst who, who writes for airline business. So, um, and that these are people that have seen crises before. I think they all acknowledge this is on a scale they haven't seen before, but certainly they talk about the lessons learned and, um, and how they see this playing out. So, um, so overall, the, the, there's a very focused issue if, you, if you're looking for that kind of, um, a, yeah, fairly in-depth overview of where where the sector is and where it might be going, I'd say it's a great thing to look at because there's a lot of noise at the moment, um, you know, not just on the airline sector generally, but we've tried to make this issue really focused on on covering the, the key points that everyone needs to know at the moment. So so please take a look. Excellent. And you can get to that at uh, flightglobal.com uh, forward slash airline business. 
Flight Global has launched a series of webinars featuring leading industry executives and analysts from around the world to dissect how different parts of the aviation sector are navigating the coronavirus crisis. Listen to these on demand at flightglobal.com forward slash webinar. So that's all for this time. You can find links to the stories we have referenced, including the digital airline business special on the coronavirus crisis in the podcast notes. And you can keep up to date with all the latest on how airlines are responding to the global grounding at the new look flightglobal.com. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. And we'll see you again next time.